From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. The New York Times analyzed federal data that shows long-term use of antidepressants is surging in the United States, with 15.5 million Americans taking the medications for at least five years. That's a number that's doubled since 2010 and tripled since the year 2000. Here to talk about these popular medications and what happens when someone stops taking them is Dr. Thomas Schwartz, professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences, who is also the interim chair of that department at Upstate. Welcome, Dr. Schwartz. Thanks for having Thanks for me. Here. Well, I, I want to focus on antidepressant withdrawal, but can we first talk about the popularity of antidepressants? Um, which drugs are we talking about? So I think the the antidepressants as a class, the most common are what we call the SSRIs, the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. So Paxil, Prozac, Zoloft, Lexapro would be the probably the most common. Um, there are other antidepressants that we do use, uh, Welbutrin, Remeron, uh, Trintelix, Vibrid, but there's probably eight or nine that are, are the most commonly used. And we've been using the, when did we start using these? So I, I think looking back in psychiatry, the original antidepressants came out in the 1950s and 1960s. They had many, many side effects. They were hard to take. Uh, frankly, they could be dangerous if taken uh, incorrectly. And when Prozac came out in the 80s, it was really the first safer, easier to use antidepressant. So I think since the 80s, we really have been able to prescribe more and more because they're, they're safer, they're more user-friendly for the patient and the physician. Uh, primary care doctors rarely prescribed antidepressants and, you know, before the 80s, and now they're probably the number one prescriber. Uh, I think about 70% of the antidepressants in the U.S. come out of primary care offices, not necessarily psychiatric ones. Well, you said they're SSRI, serotonin. What, mm -hmm. what, is, what does that do? How do they work in the body? So what, what they do is they block a reuptake or a recycling pump. You, your brain likes to vacuum up serotonin. Uh, if we block those pumps, then more serotonin is essentially left floating around. And theoretically, that corrects some of the underlying uh, brain problems that, that led to the depression. That, that's the theory, at least. And do they seem to be effective? I think so. Uh, the, the data is compelling. If you look, can an antidepressant beat a placebo or a sugar pill? Um, that's how you get FDA approved in the United States. So on the short term, they do seem to work. And really, when you look at longer term data, you know, particularly from the Scandinavian countries um, who do more long term naturalistic studies, uh, they are protective. They do help depression. They help anxiety. They help eating disorders. Uh, so they're, they're not just antidepressants, but, but they do seem to be helpful if, if used in, in the right patient. Um, does it inclu include pediatrics? Is it adults and children? Yeah, I think more and more we're seeing FDA approvals uh, for children with depression. Um, you know, Prozac, for example, Lexapro are approved in both kids and adults. So the increase in, in prescribing is in both areas, uh, pediatrics and, and adult patients. So are antidepressants, are they meant um, to be used in crisis to help someone through sort of a, a, a period of time, or are they intended to be used long term? So it's all relative, and there's, there's never a, a simple, easy answer. If somebody is going through a stressful situation, uh, a divorce, uh, a car crash, a house burning down, a, a pet passing away, a family member dying... The, these are normal but crummy parts of life. In, in our language, we call these adjustment disorders. We used to call them grief reactions a while ago. But these are tough things to navigate, and most people can get through them. 
Um, some people need psychotherapy. That's the treatment of choice for dealing with a stressful thing where you're really stuck. But there is a, a subset of that group where that stressful, terrible situation does kick off a major depressive episode or a clinical depression. So if somebody really uh, starts meeting uh, diagnostic criteria and it, it turns from being a normal stressful event to being stuck in a clinical major depressive disorder, um, when that happens to somebody, you can, again, go through more formal psychotherapy and 12 to 20 weeks of cognitive behavioral therapy as an example, and, and that works 70, 80% of the time. Uh, or somebody can take a medication such as one of these SSRIs, or they can do both, and it really comes down to patient preference. Some people are scared of medications. Uh, some patients don't have an hour a week to talk to somebody or are scared to talk to somebody, and you really let the patient decide at that point. Or their insurance might not be as forthcoming right. with that. Right. Well, someone conceivably could start taking an antidepressant during a crisis situation, mm -hmm. and it's they it's helping, and mm -hmm. why, why upset something that's working, right? Right. I think whatever treatment course the, the patient chooses, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, and, and so ideally, you if you can fix the depression, regardless of the treatment modality, if somebody can get to what we call remission, we, we kind of use the cancer term. Remission means no cancer cells left. Uh, in our world, remission from depression means you have no symptoms left. You're back to your normal. You're well again. I think once that can be achieved, usually after several weeks of a psychotherapy or an antidepressant, you probably want to wait uh, about a year. If somebody can stay symptom-free for a year, you hope they've beaten the depression. You hope the brain has learned not to get re-depressed, and you can take the medicine away or, or the psychotherapy away. And, and that's if it's their first depression. If they have three or four major depressive spells, you might want to do something longer, like a decade. Mm -hmm. uh, so the more the brain gets depressed again and again, the more it's going to do it in the future. Now, weren't there some warnings soon after um, these drugs became in common use um, that there were some dangers that uh, the antidepressant could actually make things worse? Yeah, I, I think historically in psychiatry, at least, we've actually known regardless of if you're using an antidepressant of any kind, a psychotherapy of any kind, one of the most dangerous times in a, in a depressed person's treatment is when they start getting better. So initially, we, we felt we were using antidepressants, people were getting better, and, and when you're tired, sluggish, amotivated, it's kind of hard to contemplate acting on a suicidal plan. But when you're 10%, 20% better, you have more energy, you can put together the wherewithal to go to the store to, to buy whatever you need to harm yourself. Um, that's one of the most dangerous times. It's scary. People are actually getting better. You know, the doctor's happy, the patient's a little bit happy, but it also gives them the ability to complete a suicide. And that's regardless of treatment. So that's a, actually a very dangerous time. And we, we thought when the antidepressants were started that maybe it was just coinciding with that. When you went and looked back at the data, however, particularly in people under the age of 25, there was a statistical group that got more suicidal thinking. You know, we're, we're talking like a percentage point, not 80%. But let's say one out of 100 just to, to you know, come up with a number actually do get worse. And, and we do need to be careful in that age group. So again, I think we're careful with everybody. We warn them they might get worse. The, the antidepressant might backfire. And if that happens, we need to stop the antidepressant, obviously, and, and make sure they're safe. So they, they can backfire. 
Uh, I make it um, similar to if you start an antibiotic for a sinus infection. Your doctor always tells you, you know, in a few days you should feel better, but you might get a rash. You might get uh, stomach problems. Um, sometimes those rashes kill people. You have an anaphylactic reaction and stop breathing. There is a harm in every medicine we take. Sure. So the antidepressants are similar. You do need to be careful, uh, but they do help people too. Well, this is Upstate's Health Link on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with psychiatrist and professor Dr. Thomas Schwartz, uh, the interim chair of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at Upstate. And we're talking about antidepressant use and what happens when someone t- stops taking their medicine. Um, recently, the New York Times wrote about how some people who take de- antidepressants are unable to quit because of severe withdrawal symptoms. Do you see that in your practice? or? So we do. The antidepressants, particularly the longer you've been taking them, so we're, we're talking months to years now. Uh, it's usually not after a few weeks, but if you're on an antidepressant months to years, and particularly at a higher dose, uh, if you quit those cold turkey, uh, people can go into withdrawal. It's not every antidepressants. It's the antidepressants that we call them short half-life, meaning when you take a tablet, it, it, your body you know, gets rid of the drug within your system within hours. That's a faster drug to us. And we know that drugs that are uh, metabolized faster have more withdrawal. Uh, alcohol is a fast-acting drug, too. So the difficulty is your brain gets used to having a lot of serotonin around, which is what helps to treat your depression. And then all of a sudden, if you quit the antidepressant cold turkey, there's no serotonin. So let's say you go from 100% serotonin to 30%. Your brain reacts by creating withdrawal syndrome. And that can be things as mild as headaches and stomach aches. Sometimes people get more weepy and more sad. But sometimes they they really get these flu-like symptoms, muscle aches, uh, joint aches. Uh, They can feel uh, hot or almost feverish. They can get, um, their muscles can get tremors or or get uh, kind of these jerky movements. And and some people say they get things called brain zaps. They feel like electricity, it doesn't spark them or hurt, but they feel like they have these zips of electricity, which to me is, I've never seen that anywhere else in medicine. And so if I hear that, I kind of wonder if they stop their medicine all of a sudden. Is there a safe way to come off antidepressants to, to prevent all of that from happening? I think so. Uh, I certainly have had patients uh, tell me that they've never been able to get off these drugs and they're stuck in a withdrawal straight. Um, in my practice, I've actually never seen that. In my practice, I've been able to get pretty much everybody off of these safely. But there certainly could be people that um, get stuck in these withdrawal states so what we would do is we take your antidepressant and we might actually lower it over you know, a few months, three months, six months. Instead of two to three weeks, we just spread out and we go lower and lower and lower. And maybe instead of dropping by 20 milligrams, we drop your dose by five. We just spread out and take a longer time. That gives your brain a chance to adapt to being without as much serotonin. I think that's effective 70, 80% of the time. Something else we'll do, we'll use the drug Prozac, and that's a long half-life drug. Every tablet you take is in your body for a week or two. Hmm. So the longer a drug lasts, the less withdrawal you have, and that's true of almost any kind of drug. So sometimes we'll take people off of a short-acting drug like Paxil or Effexor, for example, and we'll temporarily put them on Prozac to detox them. It's really like a methadone detox for people that are used to heroin. You go from a short-acting to a long-acting drug, and then you still go slowly off. So Prozac is our, our detoxification drug, and, and that uniformly works in my practice. And, and then people can get off the medication with, with much less issue. 
So it seems to me like um, what you're saying is that patients really shouldn't just stop taking their medicine without sort of some guidance from their physician. Or... Correct. I think that's true of any kind of doctor, you know, psychiatry, uh, family medicine, orthopedic surgery. Uh, always talk to your doctor or your nurse practitioner or physician's assistant, but always ask for advice before you quit anything cold turkey. And in psychiatry, you, you certainly could get a withdrawal, but what we've learned is the brain doesn't like to do anything fast. So do, would we re-trigger a new depression if you went cold turkey? I think so. So I'd rather take at least a few weeks or even a few months to get you off your medications. We, we just we don't want to play a trick on the brain um, and change the chemistry too quickly, whether you go on the medicine or off the medicine. Well, before, uh, before we have to wrap up, I want to ask you about the, sort of the future of antidepressants. Um, is there anything on the horizon that's going to be different with the way they're given or... I think researchers continue to look for new ways to treat depression. There are new medicines that are like the SSRIs that seem to have a bit less side effect. So there are drugs called serotonin partial agonist reuptake inhibitors, uh, SPARI for short, S-P-A-R-I. They seem to have a little less sexual problems and a little less weight gain. So if you think about the Paxils and the Prozacs and the Zoloft, those are some of the number one complaints. So these drugs are four to five years old, so they're, they're not new, but they, they're kind of like the SSRIs with a bit less side effect in practice. So I, I think that's been helpful. I think we continue to look at new psychotherapies and different psychotherapies. You know, if you don't want to be on a medicine, what are your choices? So there's refinements in that area as well. We have uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation. It's a high-powered magnet um, that has been FDA-approved for some time, but the insurers have allowed more access to it. So we're getting more and more data in clinical practice using a high-powered magnet to essentially treat depression with a minimum of side effects. And then the hottest thing in the news seems to be ketamine and some derivatives of ketamine. The idea is if you're completely depressed and even suicidal, if you went to an emergency room, for example, they could put an IV in and give you a dose of ketamine. Ketamine's been around forever. Uh, it's a controlled substance. Uh, some people can get addicted to it. Uh, it's... Uh, anesthetic, you know, people feel less pain on it. It might be related to, you know, PCP or angel dust if you want to think scary for a minute. But at very tiny doses, uh, you can give an IV and people walk out of the emergency room not depressed and not suicidal. And it's not because they're high. The doses are, are low that you don't get a, a buzzed or a high effect. It's fascinating. And the, uh, the ketamine dampens glutamate, which is a neurochemical, a brain chemical we've been trying to manipulate for years, but we haven't found the right product. So an old drug is getting repurposed as kind of a quick fix to the most dire uh, consequences of being depressed. The negative is it only lasts about seven days. That was my question. How and long till it? Right. So like shock treatment, where you sometimes need to go once a week for what we would call maintenance sessions, you might have to do maintenance ketamine. So once a week, you have to go for an IV. There are now active studies using a nasal spray uh, of ketamine derivatives, and, and that way you wouldn't need an IV, you wouldn't have to go to the hospital, and, and those studies are looking promising, but they're, they're early. Uh, so it'll be interesting. Will we have a, a treatment that works quickly and just an easier way to maintain people on it? But again, you have to watch for addiction and side effects. So uh, we'll know in the future if it's the... Uh, becomes FDA approved and, and more routinely yeah. used. Well, very interesting. Thank you so much for sharing. My guest has been Dr. Thomas Schwartz, a professor of psychiatry and the interim chair of the Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences Department at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.